This Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast is brought to you by the Vits Radio Academy. For, for more content and information, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za. Three, two, one. This is Radio Days Africa 2021 audio amplified. Download the Radio Days Africa app. Search Radio Days Africa in your app store. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Radio Days Africa 2021. It is the 12th edition of the largest radio conference on the continent. Uh, it is proudly presented by the Vitz Radio Academy uh, under the auspices of the Department of Journalism. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone who's watching, if you didn't know, this is the 12th edition of Radio Days Africa. And in 2021, we have 70 speakers and 21 sessions. And if you do not want to miss any one of the sessions, I encourage you now to download the Radio Days Africa app. All you need to do is go to the App Store or to the Play Store and download Radio Days Africa, the app. And remember, if you've missed out on other sessions, all of the sessions are turned into podcasts. And if you want to listen to those podcasts, go to the website, radiodaysafrica.co.za. Before I introduce the incredible panel that I have here today, I just want to send a very big thank you to the sponsors who have made Radio Days Africa possible. So to the Conrad Adenauer Stifting Media Program Sub-Sahara, who have been a long-term partner and sponsor. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this, so thank you so much. Radio Days Africa is also supported by the National Association of Broadcasters, Media, Media Head 360, Wise Buddha Jingles, the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria, RCS Sound Software, Iono FM, Samro, and Podnews.net. To everyone who has joined us today, remember you can send some of our panelists or any one of the panelists a question and you can send that or post that question in the chat box feature at the bottom. Uh, so we're going to have the conversation, post your questions in the chat feature uh, at the bottom and I'll get to those chats and to uh, those voice notes later on uh, in the last uh, 20 or 15 minutes. Uh, and if you are trusting yourself, to send a voice note and you don't want to type your question, we'd love to hear your voice and your question or your comment. So send all of your voice notes to plus two seven seven nine five two eight double zero double zero. Now, with all the admin and protocol out of the way, I'm going to introduce to you our powerhouse panel. It's going to be an amazing one. Uh, this session on Audio Amplified is called The Future is Female. Our panelists are Joanne Joseph, media personality and author. We have Mutsidi Simohono, who is a super sport presenter. Nonlebo McKenzie, who is an Ukozi FM presenter. And Rorisan Setlokhelo, who is the CEO of Roth media. Ladies, good morning. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, also, perhaps I should introduce myself. My name is Claire Mawisa and I'm honored to be moderating this panel. I'm going to start with you, Joanne. Um, I think we need to get the question that everyone wants to ask you out of the way. Um, 702, what happened at 702? We love you on air. It ended you can be as specific or as vague as you'd like, um, but I think that's what is top of mind when people see you. What happened? 
<laughs> so, Claire, it's a bit of a tricky one because, of course, one leaves with contractual obligations and that kind of thing. But, uh, look, it was a fantastic time at 702. I think they were very brave to have experimented with the idea of putting a woman in that slot in the first place. And you're right, it worked very well, um, chiefly because I had the most brilliant team of women behind me. Um, and, and I must mention them. Tsekhofatsu uh, Murule and Kenilwe Sebola, two women to whom I am eternally grateful for, for making the show what it was. And we grew the audiences beautifully. Uh, we had fantastic feedback from people. People who had never listened to Afternoon Drive before were engaging us on that slot. Unfortunately, all good things come to an end. The contract came to an end. So uh, we move on. And uh, 702 is taking a slightly different uh, approach to, to their lineup right now. Uh, they, I think, have moved towards a lineup that is uh, quite uh, heavy in terms of, of men. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, you know, broadcasters make these decisions all the time. And, and one can never take for granted when you start off a contract that you are going to uh, necessarily have that contract renewed after a, a particular number of, of months or years. Uh, as you know, this industry is, is very changeable, deeply mercurial. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was a, a change up that the, uh, that the station was working on. And uh, I've moved on to other things in the meantime. We're going to find out about those other things. But you earlier said that it was a brave choice for them to put a female presenter in drive. Do you still in 2021, Joanne, really? Do you still think it's a brave choice? Are listeners not wanting it? Uh, do they not want to hear themselves? Do they not want to listen to the female's perspective? You know, that, that's such a brilliant question, Claire, because we mustn't assume that the managers of radio stations or any media house, for example, uh, actually know what audiences want. We, we make that assumption. And right now, uh, the state of media in the country is such that many media houses are run by people who don't know what audiences want. Uh, they, they don't know how to engage those audiences. They don't ask them the right questions about what they want to hear on air. Um, and, and you've still got uh, in management either uh, men running the show. I mean, in South Africa, certainly uh, the latest research by Reuters and, and Oxford University shows that, that there's a, a wonderful trend towards female leadership in the, in the newsrooms, which is fantastic. But you've got to employ women in those senior positions who are committed to the empowerment of other women on air. Believe me, um, there, there are men who are patriarchs and there are women who pervade patriarchy very, very well and very efficiently in the newsroom and, and, and are hardly committed at all to the empowerment of other women in journalism, for example. So, so you know, to, to take a chance, yes, they do take a chance uh, at times. Um, I'm not sure that all media houses are commit, committed enough to actually seeing that through. Uh, so they'll, they'll try it for a while. Uh, they'll fall back into their patriarchal positions of, well, we don't, we think this woman is too vociferous. We think that uh, she's too opinionated. We think that she perhaps alienates male listeners or viewers uh, because she, she's too strong in her opinions or she's too assertive in her approach, particularly with the difficult interviews. And, and it scares media managers sometimes as much as it scares audiences that you've got women like us working in this field who, who are very, very vocal um, and, and, and who don't mince our words. Remember that, you know, male interviewers, male uh, uh, media figures doing the exact same job as us are considered hard hitting, they're considered assertive, strong interviewers. When we do the same thing, we're considered aggressive. 
uh, where I remember one um, <laughs> one guest calling into the the show and saying to to my producer, I, I wish Joanne would be sweeter on air. I, I like it when she chats, she chats to the others in a, in a sweeter sort of way. I don't like it when she gets aggressive. And of course, she had to spend 20 minutes away from the program explaining to the guy that, uh, you know, his opinion was based on certain patriarchal values of his own that he had to call into question. But, but that's the kind of thing that women and female presenters, uh, writers, producers, reporters out in the field are battling all the time. We're battling to just break the backbone of that patriarchy that prevents us from the, being the best we can be on it. Yeah. Wow, um, that's that's incredible. Um, it's an open secret that I love you, Mutsirisi. I've told you that. I go onto your Insta Live. I watch you. You make me cry. I'm obsessed with you. You know it. I want to know. Uh, there are some people that are watching us now that have a passion, who have a dream, and have an interest, but they haven't made that into a career. So, explain what was it with you when you might have been participating in sports at school, you might have been watching sports at home. It was part of home life that sports was just pervasive on TV, on radio. At what point did it become a career? Uh, option or career path, a viable one? And did you go into it thinking, you know, uh, having an idea of how you wanted it to be or who you needed to be in that space? Joanne has just spoken about a patriarchal space. Mm -hmm. And that's what you did. You went into the space <laughs> and a lot of women are like, no thanks, no thanks. Head first, head first. Mine is such a weird story because um, I remember joining radio in varsity in my first year, purely because I had so much time on my hands that I thought, you know, idle time makes the devil's work. So I need to start filling this with things that are fun. I'd always listen to radio. I'd always watch television. I've always enjoyed sports as well. Uh, football through my dad and then learned other sporting codes through primary school and high school. And when I joined radio, little did I know um, that I would progress to YFM. I joined YFM in 2008. I was a weekend news reader. And weekend news, the bulk of it is centered around sport. Um, but that's when it really became my vocation to know what's happening on, on fields and courts across the world. And then I graduated from weekend to, to daytime, which is now hard news, breakfast, hard news, afternoon drive, hard news. And it was in 2011 when Tato Mieng left to join Supersport, my colleague, uh, that I was like, I'd like to take over the sports desk. And my editor was like, okay, show me what you can do. I'm like, okay, let's go. And, and it's weird because in our newsroom, we were a sporting newsroom because we were so young. Every Monday, it's banter sessions. It's who won the bet, who didn't win the bet, whose team is pop, whose team is not pop. Um, so that also became ingrained in our culture that I, that um, when a colleague of mine, Tiran Cosway actually tells me, he's like, you just turn around and you say, Tiran, I'm going to do sport. And I was like, okay, go for it. And that's what I did. I went for it. And coincidentally, it was in the same year that Supersport had their Lady Raga presenter search. And the newsroom was like, you need to go, you need to go, you need to show them what you're made of. I, I wasn't too gung-ho about it in the beginning, but I figured, let's go. Um, the day before I sat, sat with my friends, like, okay, guys, hit me with it. All the information I need to know, positions, whatever. Because it was a sport I knew in high school, but I wasn't ingrained in its culture. I used to watch from the outside, you know, and how it could just take over the entire school, the parents, everybody just so involved, especially when our first team was playing. 
And then I did Lady Raga presenter search and I came third. And I thought, hey man, I did it. I came third, it's cool. 1,500 ladies all the way down to three. That's pretty impressive. Little did I know that I'd made enough of an impression for one of the producers, Erin Ferreira, to call me back and say, hey, I saw your tapes. I'd like you to please um, present the show that I am working on. It's called Super Sport Super Fan. The first time we're including social media on the Super Sport platform. And I need you to present it with Derek Alberts. And I went in for the screening. I remember thinking, thinking like it's an audition. And she's like, no, 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 you have the part. We just want to see what you look like on screen. And I was like, and that's been my life ever since. I did the show um, throughout the 2011 Rugby World Cup. And when it came to an end, I was like, no, man, I can't leave this place. This is where I belong. You know? But in that journey, did you ever feel like you needed to live up to something? Or was it, I always write it off some things to like youth, you know, like the ignorance of youth. You're like, you just go in and you're like, I'm just going to, you know, see how it goes. Or did you go in intentionally knowing that, wow, Black women in such a white male dominated space in broadcasting. Did you go thinking I need to be Wonder Woman or did you just, uh, I don't know, was that something more of a hindsight thing? I, I think high school taught me already that um, you always have to perform twice as good to be noticed. I went to a high school called Murray Falloon, which school Murray Falloon in Alberton. It's a dual medium high school, majority white, majority Afrikaans. And that experience, that five-year experience kind of prepared me. I didn't know it at the time that was preparing me for the work that I'd be doing in future or the work environment that I would be in in future. So even during that, that competition, there was always that undercurrent of, you need to step it up, you need to be great, you need to be whatever. But I knew my strengths. I wasn't a child that was you know, fed the back pages and watched rugby every weekend. This was totally out of my league. What I was good at is broadcasting. I knew how to speak to people. I, need to, I knew how to disseminate information. So I went with my strength and I told myself that whatever I need to learn, I will learn. I will ask, I will research. It's, I'm coming in as a novice anyway. Nobody's expecting me to know everything all at once. And that's kind of the attitude that I used as I went into it. But it, it, it was almost calling me onto that route. At the time I was studying accounting, I wanted to be an accountant, I wanted to make money, uh, but it, it broadcasting kind of called me towards it and the opportunities were always showing themselves. And the more I seized the opportunities, the more I started to level up and then I just knew. After that show, I knew this is where I want to be. This is the sport I want to cover. I'm going to make it work. So I snuck in, started doing Blitz in 2012. I was like, I'm going to earn this one. Grafted uh, in, in the 24-hour newsroom there at Supersport. And in 2013, they called me up. I'm like, hey, why are you in the dungeon? We need you for Varsity Cup. And I was like, let's go. All I know is that rugby fans all over South Africa are very happy that you are no longer doing accounting. So am I. Yeah. I'm going to go on to somebody who calls herself a Jedi master, a Jedi master. Yes, it's you. No, never. You know, I often, you know, MC events and we've all emceed events where we have to introduce people and you listen, you look at their bio. And I can tell you now, your bio is probably one of the most extensive bios I've ever read ever. So I don't know if that's part of your Jedi master tricks. I just want to share with people that are watching. Um, you have a bachelor's in communication science, a master's in business admin. You are founder of Sports Health and Fitness Exchange. You are into community development. You're the founder of Kanyisa Development Trust. 
And on the side, in your spare time, you present the biggest radio show on in sub-Saharan Africa. You have seven and a half million listeners. You are doing everything. Uh, you are every woman. I, you are the definition of powerhouse. Yes, you are that person. How important is it to have all of that going on? How does that make you a better broadcaster when you show up on the mic, when you do present? Does all of your community work, your passion for education development, all the other things that you do, does that make you a better broadcaster? A lot of people think that broadcasters are one-dimensional women that just show mm -hmm. up, press the mic, and do what they need to do. When you've got this vast experience, vast knowledge, so much mm -hmm. um, qualification behind you, um, how does that show up on air for you? I think for me, the, the primary, we, we can embellish all the other requirements and um, we can take any woman and put a figure there and put all the, the nice, colorful stuff around it. But for me, the primary thing, or maybe two primary things, is to be a broadcaster. People will always tease you when you talk and you say, oh, you talk a lot. Uh, it's proof that you're on radio. Being on air is about listening. Every single time you switch on the mic, you switch it on to listen to the person and respect every single listener. Whatever it is that you are talking about on air, you could be talking about the weather, you could be talking about sport, you could be talking about economics, you could be talking about anything. Rest assured that there is somebody listening out there who knows about that a thousand or a million times better than you do. And you've got to respect that. The minute you go on air not willing to have a perspective shift from engaging with your listeners, from engaging with the content, then you just need to revisit why you're on end. You need to reconsider. And that for me is what makes a better broadcaster respect and being willing to listen mm. and learn. I, I think people having a vast life or a full round life also adds to who you are when you do speak on air because you have that empathy that understanding that knowledge that you can pull from all different uh, perspectives it's not just necessarily uh knowing what the facts are in the news and knowing um you know how to switch the mic on it's all of you <laughs> all of your multifacetedness comes alive in that moment when you have to once you've listened to connect with that listener, right? And it, it's quite interesting because you'll be doing an interview on economics now, then you'll be listening to a news bulletin, and then you'll be talking about a human interest story, and then you'll need to shift. Your mind needs to constantly switch between those personalities. But every single radio person does that, and every single woman does that, because you will get in your car to go to work, and you'll be thinking about the presentation that you need to do. And as you park your car, the school calls, oh, so-and-so is sick. And then you've got to switch gears and be, and be the mother that needs to phone the doctor, get an appointment, do this, do that. And then, oh, I forgot to take this out the deep freezer. And it's, it's something that we take with us. Every single person has a multidimensional life. But what you need, or rather what I have learned to do, not what you need to do, what I've learned to do is where I am in that moment, I need to be fully in that moment at that moment. 
I have no notifications on my phone. My phone is, has been on silence. People don't believe this. My phone has been on silence for 17 years. The day I start 18 years, the day I started radio, I put my phone on silence because it would ring in studio. It would ring in studio. So my phone has permanently been on silence. Unless somebody says they're going to phone me at 10 o'clock and I'm scared I'm going to miss the call, then I'll switch the volume on. But it's been on silence. So that where I am at that moment, I am fully in it. And of course, there'll be distractions. Of course, there'll be things you'll remember. Oh, sure, but I need to send that SMS. Or I need to send that WhatsApp. Oh, somebody said they were going to call. Oh, let me quickly check my, phone, my, my messages. That's natural. But where you are in that moment, when you're speaking to a listener, remember when you're on radio and a person is listening on radio, it feels more one-on-one. -on -one. So a, a listener who's talking to you about something, who's sharing something, because whether they're sharing their opinion, whether they're sharing something about their story, they're sharing something that to them, they felt was important enough for them to phone somebody they, they do not know so that other people, millions of people could hear about it. And they can hear when you're not present in that moment with them for them to share what for them is significant enough to share. And that for me is, is something that's very, very important. Yes, you are multifaceted. Yes, you you're multidimensional, but where you are in that moment, especially on such an intimate medium as radio, be with that person as much as they are with you in that moment. Wow, so powerful. Um, a huge congratulations. I think a lot of people um, think about starting businesses and starting what they want to do. Um, Sang, founder of Roth Media, has celebrated, has just celebrated 10 years. Um, <laughs> you know, congratulations on, 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 on that a massive, massive um, milestone for you, your company, your dream. Um, guys, advertising agency doing incredible things. One of the things I sometimes think that young people or younger people don't understand the value in is the stick to itness the grit it takes for you to do what you need to do. Could you explain? Because people will look at you and they think, ah, Rorisang had it all together. She knew what she, she, 10 years, I mean, it was probably a slice of cake or a piece of cake. What does it take or what did it take for you to get to the point of opening the ad agency and for you to now, 10 years later, to still be going strong? Thank you, Claire. I think for me, one of the key things was um, finding my purpose early. Um, and when I started the agency, I, I had this, this big passion to have, you know, an amplification and an ignition agency. I wanted it to be the engine around messaging, around visual and creative communications. And we actually went with a tagline called the Innovation Pandit. And um, obviously, you guys in broadcasting understand what being a pandit is. And that is what I wanted our agency to do. I wanted our agency to be a place where marketers and brands, the creative community, are able to do representation better. I wanted our agency to be a place where uh, brands are able to tap into the individual collective um, in a way that is nuanced, in a way that understands our sub-segments. I wanted to basically enjoy this thing I was passionate about, which is marketing and communications. And I had a huge problem with underrepresentation. I wanted to take that out there. When I got out there, you know, initially, um, just going into the, the companies that I worked for, um, eventually also ending up in, in, in the alcohol space and ending up in, um, in the beer space, actually, you know, it was such a boys club. It was such a male-dominated industry. Um, and me as a woman who comes from 
um, a very proudly matriarchal culture, being Zwana and being Morolong. You know, I was taught to use my voice. I was taught to always tap into that and that I will run that room. I will be heard and I will um, contribute to the conversation. And I felt that my purpose was greater than, um, you know, just doing that in corporate. I felt that I could bring more people um, to the the dialogue around representation in media and communication in how the image of women and the voice of women was being treated. I, I was very, very particularly connected to the fact that I wasn't finding any full service agencies that were women run. Um, women seem to be relegated a lot of the time to you know, PR agency or an event agency. Um, and when you're saying I'm a full service agency and I'm offering um, the full you know, Rolls Royce and you're a woman, you know, people look at you and they're like, with what army? And I'm like, you don't even know me. I roll. Like you, you can't even come for this one here. Don't even try it. I'm not the one. Um, and then after 10 years, we became a network agency. Um, and you don't find a lot of black owned, woman owned and woman run uh, uh, network agencies. You know, network agencies by definition are typically part of a bigger global group. Um, some massive conglomerate that owns everything from broadcasting to agencies to you name it you know they've got satellites they've got the whole thing and it's like again with what army and i'm like i am best placed to represent um first of all black women in our industry i am best placed to represent their voices to bring out their talents to share in the incredible stories behind these hidden figures i want to be behind women that are taking up space i want to be behind women that are finding their voice and owning it and I want to do that in the medium that I'm best placed in, which is in advertising. And it's a huge passion of mine. Um, I love visual creative um, comms. I love that they incorporate so much in terms of um, communication and they allow us to nuance so well. And I want to do that all over the continent every single day. But was it tough? It, I mean, as you're talking about it now, you know, what, what do you believe, what do you feel looking back now were some of the biggest challenges to get to where you are now? Because, you know, we, we listened to your story and it sounds smooth sailing, um, but, but was it um, what I'm thinking it was or was it tough? It was basically impossible. You know, it was impossible. You are inventing and creating for an impossible situation every single day. And you kind of have to be very, very adept at failure and failing every day. So I walk into every single day and I can't wait for the spectacular failures that I'm going to face. And I'm unafraid of them because I've been failing forward for 10 years. So one of the first things is, you know, we try and maybe compete with men, um, but we offer so much more. And, and diversity is about us representing the things that are inherent and unique and brilliant about what we do. And I'm not interested in um, being another main male, uh, uh, almost coded agency. I, I want it to be different when, when I step into the room. I want it to be different with my team. Sticking it out in an industry that has had no female network agencies, um, independent or otherwise, sticking out in an industry that hasn't had representation period. Um, and, and, and obviously the industry is trying to change that. It's been very difficult. And I think one of the biggest challenges for me was actually finding myself in the room to pitch, to compete, to, um, you know, put my hand up and saying, you know, we're here, guys, like, please utilize us. We are underutilized. We've made great investments and in talent. We've been able to bring such a diverse group of people together who have so much to offer. 
from a creative standpoint. Uh, please include us uh, for pitches. Please allow us to work on your brand. And for a long time, I felt like I was begging. For a long time, I felt like, you know, this is actually so demeaning. But, you know, there has to be someone to do it and to step in and to take the beatings so that you can open the doors for others. Now, I've had so many phenomenal women to look up to in my industry. I've had so many mentors in, in marketing and advertising that, you know, they don't even know how much I have appreciated watching them and just the courage they gave me um, to step forward. But in terms of staying the course, that's internal work. You've got to know who you are. You've got to make sure nobody defines you. You've got to make sure you can own everything about yourself from your failures to your successes, tell your narrative and own your own story. And that's what empowers you. And you've got to know what you're doing and what it is that you want to offer. So people who are just ignited by their inspiration and passion tend to stick it out, even when it was like crazy dark. Like last year was an absolute horror show um, for my business. But, you know, in this year, in the first 100 days of our, our new fiscal, we became a network agency that's independently owned, that is women-run and women-led. And that is the power of what women can do when things are difficult. Just their creativity in solving for, for challenges is, is absolutely inspiring. So I've drawn so much support from having a female leadership team. I've drawn so much support from having these strong um, industry matriarchs and anchors that I could look up to. I um, take the responsibility of stepping forward and being one to others. Um, if I am more accessible to a, a, a younger um, entrepreneur or a younger advertising as aspirant. Um, and I definitely am so, so focused on making sure that I do not allow myself to be um, just knocked off my path by the fact that it requires tenacity. I say what scares me about tenacity is failing. So I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace that struggle and I'm going to embrace failing. And that's led me forward. I want to say amen after that. Um, thanks. <laughs> I got so thanks. Woo. Uh, we need to pause you because that was powerful. Um, but as Rorisan was speaking, I thought about the fact that in even in your space, you are broadcasting to the largest audience on the continent and you are broadcasting in mother tongue. Um, tell me about, are there um, different standards for broadcasting in mother tongue and in English? Are the same expectations uh, required? Are the same standards required? And what is the future going forward? Um, you know, are, we, are you optimistic that people are out there inspired by their own culture, their own tradition, their own desire to maintain and to uplift and to elevate their mother tongue? Or are we just all in this melting pot where, yes, we gel all well together, but it means that perhaps we're losing our individuality in terms of culture. So, you know, where are you in, in, in that space? Um, you're the best place person, I think, to talk about what you think and what you hope going forward for mother tongue broadcasting and those standards. Now, when we talk about are people proud of their culture, I'm Zulu. <laughs> I am Zulu. <laughs> that goes without saying in terms of, of who we are. Um, and, and as when anything happens that has anything Zulu, I mean, we saw with the, uh, when, when Isilo, we saw what happened there. We saw when Isilo Sibegwa 
what happened there. So I think are people rooted in their culture? Yes. It just so happens that somehow I'm a Zulu man. I'm a Zulu. I don't know. Um, but to answer, to answer your question fully, I think for me, the way I view it, what, what has happened is we've progressed to, and somebody put it very nicely that you have the non-labels, the Enzos, the Asandas that cannot speak it's a cause that cannot speak as before we had the blessings and the innocence that could speak Isuzul. Um, and now we got the black names, we got the Tosa names, we got the Sutu names, but then we lost the the language, we lost the culture. And language is a symbol of culture. It's one of the key symbols of culture, a cultural symbol. And what what that has driven, yes, for, for things to be in a melting pot, they come in as individuals to then bring that unique quality that they bring to make it that melting pot. You don't come as a beige piece to, to merge with other beige pieces. Beige, purple, blue, green, all merged together. So for that pot to actually be a melting pot, we all need to bring our individuality. And I think with the the other strides that have been made in various ways in terms of just economic growth, in terms of economic development, in terms of access to opportunities, in terms of economic migration, in terms of career migration and, and all those things, we've become more urbanized. But through that, we all have roots that are not based Ascenton, that are not based Mlanga, that are not. And when you go back there and you can fully immerse yourself, but your children cannot, then it raises something in you to say, hang on, at what cost? And then we try to balance the scales. So to answer your question, are we proud? Yes. And I think we're just finding different ways because it was automatic before. It was automatic. The fathers, the dads, the uncles would go to Johannesburg, would go to Durban to work and everybody would remain behind. Now women are moving. Everybody is setting, is finding a way to make it in a city. And therefore, now when we go back, you're like, hang on. Whereas before the fathers came back, the males came back and everything would still be pretty much at some level of homeostasis. And now we are now all of us trying to make that work. And mother needs to figure out how do I teach my children? Isuzul. Whereas before it, it wasn't the case because the kids were with her and going to a local school. So it, it's not for me an indication of a lack of pride. It's, a, it's an indication of we hadn't been there before. So we couldn't preempt how we would intervene. We had to go there, experience it. And that's why a lot of people will listen to Umshabo Enen. A lot of people will listen to Musuring. A lot of people will listen to to course, will listen to Ukosi with their kids in the car so that their children will listen and pick up and understand the history. Because remember, PBS radio, which is what African language stations radio is, has got a lot of history, has got a lot of history, and a lot of it is rooted in history. So when you speak of Ukansas, when you speak of Upodloza, when you speak of those people, it's not just the name. It's what they did for traditional music. It's what they did for broadcasting. When you speak of Togo Zaninen, it's not about just that he was a person who was a broadcaster. It's about what he did for the Isizulu language. And when those names are mentioned and a child says, but and you've got to go back into that history. And you've got to go back into, into that history. It becomes a history lesson that's beyond the broadcaster. It's about the radio station. It's about the culture. It's about music. And it's about his contribution to that. And so pride in our culture and us reconnecting with our culture is not just going to be about wearing you know beads and wearing traditional regalia it's about how we immerse ourselves and in many ways and radio is one of those ways to immerse ourselves in it 
as you are talking, it's exactly what the, the words of Susanna Kolaputbom came to mind when she spoke about the fact that it she took it on as part of what she needed to do is to revive and cement the Kosa language in a in a certain way. Um, Mutsidisi, do you feel, um, and I think it's it's been alluded to in the conversation, do you ever feel like you are, you have to be conscious about the legacy that you are leaving? Um, are you ever thinking, it's, we all want to do great in this moment. We all want the next broadcast to be great, the next live, the next OB, the next voiceover, the next MC gig. We all want that to be amazing. But are you ever thinking of legacy? Are you thinking what that is um, in the work that you do, in the space that you occupy? Um, you've shifted quite a lot. You've shifted a lot of people's perceptions and ideas. You've made us think differently. Um, I'm not a sports fanatic, but listen, uh, seeing you there at that sports desk, I thought I didn't need, I didn't know I needed to see that uh, as a black South African woman. And I needed to. Um, and it opened my heart in a way that I was like, that was an unconscious space that I didn't know that I needed to see a black woman there. Are you thinking about legacy? What is that? Is that a pressure? Is that something you enjoy? Um, are you thinking on that scale? Unmute. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to not let it overwhelm me. You know, I'm. I'm trying to, because what I what I realized, Claire, is in exactly what you just said. Now is that in just showing up for that final at my very best, exuding and working in excellence, I changed your mind. I. I it wasn't even a conscious thing that I had to do for you to draw nearer to that to the perception to the changing of thought for yourself. So what I try to do is take it in my stride. I, I try not to overwhelm myself because I feel like already just being in the space that I am, I'm already so cognizant of the fact that right now in this moment, just like when I started, I'm the only person that looks like me that does what I do. And that's hard. It can get very, very lonely as well, you know? And as much as I'm supported by not only my panelists, my colleagues, um, my, my bosses as well, I am still the only one. When I speak about what I go through, nobody in the room really can understand where I'm coming from. So what I try to do is just arrive and do well. And, and I hope that in doing well, in carrying myself the way I've always carried myself, in being excellent in my work, that more people are going to draw near to what I do. Then there's more, how does she do that? What do I need to become excellent like her? And what I'm doing, not necessarily I want to be your presenter now. Because I don't want that to be my legacy either. I don't want you to just do what I am doing. I want to expose you to what else is on offer in television. Because I'm seeing now women who are directing, women who are producing, becoming EPs, becoming administrators. There are audio techs. There's vision mixers, VTs. I walk into the room and I'm like, hello, Jessica. You know, instead of Jason. And hello, um, Rihanna instead of Thai, you know, the, the, even the language starts to change. Uh, even the, the, the broadcast is different because it's like, you're almost part of your nose quickly. Only a woman would say that to me. So, so yes, I am. I'm very, very aware of it. And, and I think the bigger the stage, the more awareness there is. But I, but I always try to just bring it back to that thing of the only way I can change people's minds is to be really, really good at what I do. Then they will listen to whatever else 
I have to say. And I hope that's my legacy, that in just showing up and doing well in the space that I am, that other women and other little girls in particular will, will want to rise to the occasion and know that there's room and space for them to do that. You're that person we say that you see, you see, we did tell you, hey. you look at Mutsidisi, she's doing it. So uh, it doesn't even, it, it doesn't have to be any even sports related. Um, so that's what I think um, you've, you've occupied that space. You, you really shattered some glass ceilings there. Um, broadcasting has taken an interesting turn and in responsibility, Joanne, in the last year. Um, but you have got, I don't want to say perspective, a bit of distance, or you have got a bit of a perspective, 20 years experience, over 20 years experience, you know, how has the role of the broadcaster changed, you know, um, in the, in the past 20 years, it, over 20 years ago, maybe people were just expected to rock up and read what was on the auto queue. Um, but we live in a world now where we have to do so much more, be so much more. Um, and in this last year, um, I've realized that the amount of trust that people have in broadcasters, the amount of responsibility we have when we switch those mics on, literally is a life and death situation. Um, you know, what is the responsibility of the broadcaster, the individual? Have they taken on much more? Do they have to be so much more? Has it evolved? Um, do you think about that, that journey, that trajectory of growth that the broadcaster has gone through? Claire, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it has changed uh, in the last 20 years. And I think that's, that's mostly to do with news consumption. Right. When I started off in broadcasting over 20 years ago, um, I was a newsreader at YFM, Motsirisi. I, I came a little bit before you. <laughs> so, so we, you know, you had your five-minute news bulletin, and that was what you read. Then I got into TV, and, and those bulletins, a lot of the content is prepared for you. You're reading auto-queue a lot of the time. Um, but, of course... Uh, the nation has become a hungry beast in terms of news consumption in the last 20 odd years, right? We've now got so many 24 hour news channels. People want news on demand because of the rise of social media. You've got a number of other sources that people are drawing from international news sources as well. We've become a very hungry nation in terms of news consumption. So, so that's really changed uh, the, the way people like us in the field work. It means that we're not spending five hours or six hours preparing for one half hour bulletin, the institutional eight o'clock news bulletin that we all watched when we were growing up. People want it on demand. They want it now. They want rolling coverage. They want updated coverage. They want breaking news. That puts you under a different kind of pressure as a broadcaster, right? It's exactly what Nonlevo was talking about, first of all, when she, she was talking about multitasking, that you've got a hundred things in front of you and you've got to pull them all together in a really coherent way um, and serve them up on a, on a nicely plated uh, table of a uh, uh, platter of contents to your audiences. So, so, so that, that's part of the, the difficulty, the practical difficulty of drawing from a number of news sources, verifying that information, uh, and of course, you know, obviously ensuring that you remain on top of things. But, but the nation's needs have also changed in other ways, right? The, the type of stories that we're covering now and the way we are covering them has put an enormous and a different kind of responsibility on the broadcaster. 
in the last 26 years, I mean, we, we've come through a period of apartheid where news consumption was, was choked, right? It, it was choked to the point that, that, that information and, and the accuracy of information was absolutely strangulated by that previous government. We're now living in an era where, you know, democratic news is democratically and widely available. And, and that just opens up the arena massively. The, the other issue, of course, uh, that, that has come up in the last 26 years is the legacy of the issues we've been grappling with. So the legacies of inequality, of poverty, of gender-based violence, lack of education for our children, all the big issues that are dogging our society have become the subject of our content on a daily basis. You go in there and you stretch yourself emotionally every day because you're talking to people who are living that experience. You've managed to have three meals a day. You have managed to, you've slept in a, in a house with a roof over your head. You, you've, uh, you've managed to educate your children, but you are engaging people who have none of that every day. The thought of that galls you as a broadcaster. It hurts you every day. And, and, and so your mission becomes different. It evolves into the mission of someone who wants to fight for social justice for all those people on an individual basis, who cares about the fate of girls who can't go to school because they don't have sanitary towels, uh, who cares about, uh, about the kids who just, uh, you know, are, are simply sitting at home without jobs now because of what the economy looks like. And that becomes a very personal burden that you carry. And, and, and often our reporters, our women reporters are, who are out in the field are on the cold face of that. They engage the people every day who are living those precarious lives. And, and the emotional burden on them is really huge. Uh, and I want to touch on that because I noticed someone does, does have a question to pose about the issue of mental health. And it's a fantastic question because the burden that you personally begin to carry uh, becomes a very heavy one. And at 702, I was so glad to have a team of women around me because we made, we made a conscious choice not to make politics the main meal of the day every day. We, we, we understood amongst ourselves that the personal is political. We, we took stories about, you know, an old lady, a hundred year old lady who wasn't able to get around because she didn't have a wheelchair. Um, and we made an appeal and it became a story because the fabric of people's lives must be woven into your broadcasting, into what you talk about every day. And, and whereas that would have been considered a soft story in the past, or a story of late disclosure, late disclosure childhood sexual abuse that emerged many years later, whereas that would have been considered you know, something we'll do uh, in, in the shoulder time part of the show, that became the focal point of the show. Those became the big stories. Um, that, that we turn the spotlight on. And, and so a lot of the time you're doing the hard stuff. You, you are holding power to account in all spheres, but you're also holding the nation at times. When the nation is watching this level of, of corruption and trying to make sense of it and feeling extremely desperate, you, you, you give, you try to give your, your listeners a sense that there is some light at the end of the tunnel that they ought to join the fight for, for honesty uh, in, in a society where, where people are, are deeply disadvantaged by corruption. When people look at the, the COVID death toll and, and they, cannot, they cannot make sense of the tragedy around them, it is your duty as a broadcaster these days to hold the nation as well and make sure that emotionally, despite the fact that you've got to do all the factual stuff 
like expanding on the death toll, talking about the vaccine campaign, all of that. Uh, you, you've also got to, to have a sense that these are fragile human beings who are living through difficult times. They are vulnerable in many ways. And, and, and when you broadcast, you try to find a middle ground where the information gets out there as, as efficiently as, as it can, but that you're also sensitive in your delivery and that you're also talking to people in the most sensitive way that you can about these difficult issues. So that, that, is, that has been my experience in terms of how I've had to grow as a broadcaster in the last 23 years. And, and it's very much tapping into the zeitgeist of society and immersing yourself in it, not divorcing yourself from it and saying, well, I'm going to be objective. I'm going to sit in my sheltered little studio um, and I'm going to interview someone for half an hour today and then I'm going to walk away from it and tackle the next topic tomorrow. It's more than that. It actually has to mean something to you. These stories have got to move you and, and, and they've got to impact you personally in order for you to tell them in, in the best way that you can in order to hopefully reach some kind of resolution in society that is positive for the people you are broadcasting to. Um, so powerful. Um, Rory Sang, Joanne has just mentioned something. She, she, she spoke about the fact that we need to sometimes reflect on where we come from. And South Africa is quite notorious to be quite an insular nation, um, especially living on the continent. And you pride yourself on being a borderless, um, yeah, you know, you, you, you want to appeal to Africa, you, you want to make sure that you are representative, that you are out there, that you are pan-African, how, and you play a pivotal role in your space. How do we knock down those barriers? How do we get people looking further north uh, in South Africa? What are we doing? What stories do we need to tell? How important is it? Because I think a lot of South Africans, and we've got the reputation, we can't deny it. We are in, insular looking. We look at ourselves and we think that it just starts and ends with us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very interesting question because I was raised, I think, um, to be Pan-African. Growing up, the stories that I heard um, about apartheid and people being in exile and people who were saved from apartheid police or from death were always by their African brothers and sisters who were bringing them into their nations and looking out for their interests and looking after their families and making sure that, you know, their gender was broader than what was going on in our, in our borders. So it, it, it was very different for me, like coming with this, this really... Um, uh, rainbow Africa, if I can put it that way, notion, and then stepping into things that were like extremely glaring, like uh, xenophobic attacks and, and just the misinformation that really fuels that and, and the fear. And then coming into like the, the age of Tabo Mbeki and, and I am an African and, and just really resonating with that. Um, and then just coming into my own and discovering that one of the most powerful things that we can do is to travel on our continent and find out how similar we are. You know, for me, it was the little things in, in travel. It was finding a word that's similar um, in, in, in Kenya. I'm like, oh, that's Zulu. That, that, word is, that word is Zulu, you know? And then you start tapping into like culture and the tribes and, and the language that unites us or even just our behaviors that are so universal, for lack of a better word, you know? Looking even at online um, and consumer behavior, looking at Black Twitter, you know, sometimes when I'm looking for nuance and I'm looking for trends, and seeing Black Twitter behave the same in America sometimes and, and in South Africa, or seeing something that resonates in South Africa, 
um, reach the entire world um, because it's something that we're all passionate about in, in, um, on our continent as well as in the diaspora. So I think one of the key things for me as well was um, I saw the most interesting thing. I saw this uh, uh, focus group that had a DNA test done on them and it's people that held weird uh, prejudices. Um, and then they found out that they actually shared like lineage across the board. Um, I can't remember who had, had done the study, but, you know, I went on to go and do like a DNA test and, and found out how all Africa I am. And it just really connects me. When I land in Cameroon, I feel like I belong. I feel like, you know, <laughs> my people. <laughs> um, when I land anywhere on the continent, I feel embraced because I think that's who we are. I really, really believe that's who we are. I believe that um, South Africa isn't, isn't only uh, the, the, the custodian of Ubuntu. You find it all over the continent. You find it mirrored. You find it reflected. When you're looking for nuance, you know, um, our consumers, Black women, mothers behave the same. When you're looking for um, the, these, these cultural subcultures in terms of music, sometimes I walk into a, into a country and South African music is being, you know, absolutely celebrated. I, I, I was in Kenya in May. I'm a piano was everywhere in Nairobi, you know. And sometimes um, you would be just at a, at a concert. I remember being at a concert in Kirstenbosch um, and Huma Sekela was performing. And people from Mozambique just looked at me and they were like, why aren't you dancing? That's one of yours. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta dance. Like, that's Huma Sekela. We came all the way here to celebrate him. Why are you sitting down? And I was like, you know what? Without further ado, let me get up and let me get in. You know, there's something so magical about being African because it's so inclusive when it's true to who and what it is. And I think that that is why I am absolutely so passionate about um, the continent and passionate about reflecting us. But more importantly, celebrating our differences and not allowing them to create um, very embarrassing tensions and typically divisive narratives that are just not true about you and what we are. And then most importantly, it makes business sense to appeal to the continent. It makes business sense to appeal to a Pan-African notion of running a business. Last year, um, when the pandemic had, had, had hit us and there were lots of activities that we could not explore in, in our marketing mixes um, while deploying campaigns that we could do in different countries. And I felt so blessed that we had been growing our business in Africa for four years and were able to tap into those markets to look at um, earnings when we couldn't look at them really internally with some of the lockdown restrictions that we had. Um, it would be the silliest thing to ignore our continent and its potential when we all know just from a data stand where the younger um, employment is going to be on the continent, is going to be literally African, um, the technology, everything that's happening on the continent is so exciting. And you miss out on that. It doesn't make sense. Um, and typically you miss out because of, you know, just isolating yourself from actual magic that you can tap into and just celebrate um, and enjoy with with everyone else on, on the continent, they celebrate us and you would be amazed at what opens up to you when you celebrate our people on the continent too. I love giving time limits to broadcasters because they know the value of every second. They know what it is to get to news, no neighbor. They know what it's like. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you guys some, uh, I'm gonna give you about a minute and a half, two minutes each. 
just for those who are watching, I think you are considered, both you, Nongebo and Mutsidisi, you are considered to be at the top of your game in your space. Um, what are you doing to hone your skills? What are you doing on a daily basis or weekly basis to get better at what you are doing? Because from the outside, we're like, ah, she's arrived. She's, she's got it all together. She's got it all together. Um, you know, so what are some of those things that you are doing uh, for, for your broadcasting to, to reach that next level? Um, so Nongleba, I'll start with you for radio and then Mutsidisi for you for, for TV broadcasting. What are some of those things that people can take away um, and to keep in mind if they want to level up? I think for me, one of the things that's really stuck in my head is something that I was told um, in my second year of being on radio. And that would have been 16, 17 years ago, that you're only as good as your last link. But you're also only as good as the last link that a person voluntarily decided to listen. Because anything and everything you could say, that person could be like, no, I swear, and switch off. So, and that could be the last time they ever decide to listen to you because of whatever it is that you said that might be factually incorrect, that might be judgmental, that might be unkind, that might just not resonate with them in a certain way. And therefore, you need to always be willing to understand who your audiences are. Because on any show, whether it be a TV show, whether it be, yes, there would be the greater number of women 35 and over listening, but they're listening with their children. They're listening with their husbands. They're listening with their mothers. So you're, you're, when you are capturing an audience, it's very diverse and in any minute. And you need to understand that very, very well so that you can ensure or at least try to ensure that in whatever way that you communicate you don't leave any of those people out because remember radio is a conversation and radio is a conversation with somebody who either responds to you directly or responds to you with emotion or responds to you with their time when somebody chooses to listen to you tomorrow they're responding to what you said yesterday with their time. When somebody sends you an email saying, shoo, what you said. When somebody sends you an e a DM saying what you spoke about. When somebody tags you and says, oh, that comment that you just made, they're responding emotionally to what you said that sat, to them, sat well with them or that made sense to them or that maybe they just want to take you up on and say, hey, what did you mean by that? That didn't make sense. That's not true. Them deciding, that means they responded and you need to always endeavor to understand what it is that people respond to. Because remember, radio is not about you. Yes, you are the one that has had the opportunity to sit behind that mic. You are the one that has been granted the grace. Yes, it's accompanied with hard work. Yes, it's accompanied with continuous learning. Yes, it's accompanied with continuous improvement. But there is an element of grace that you've been afforded that you can switch on the mic at any given point and speak to 3.5 million people or 3.8 million people or 900,000 people or 1.5 million people. You have been granted that grace. And what do you use each and every one of those minutes for? And that's what you need to constantly learn and constantly remember and constantly place above all else. Mutsidisi, what are you doing? I mean, personally, when you reflect, when you think I need to try and be the best that I can be in this space, you know, what are the, what are the things that you're thinking about doing or learning or honing or, or sharpening? The very first thing my editor at YFM taught me is that it's not about you. And Nungnebo just said it. When you make the broadcast about the viewer, 
that's when it goes well. Because in my line of work, yes, people tune in to see you, but they really tune in to hear your panel. So how are you bringing these guys into the conversation? What are the questions that you are asking them? How, how are you making sure that your line of questioning is educational to whoever is watching? So definitely that set yourself aside. You are running the ship. You, you are the one that's both listening to the panel and to the director, the PA, the producer, but, but, but it's not about you in the moment. It is about them and it's about your viewer. And if you keep that in mind, you'll always have a good broadcast. I think the other thing, of course, is research because that's when you do ask the right questions. You know, you have to stay on top of your game. What's happening in the world? Where are the Springboks right now? Why didn't they train yesterday? What's happening in terms of COVID? Why has that hit the camp? Those kinds of things, because that's how you start to build your story going into the weekend's game. Um, ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And in the beginning, I didn't because I didn't want to come across as the girl who doesn't know what she's talking about. But I figured there's someone at home who, while they love the game, also are struggling with this piece of, of, of the game. I don't understand what's happening at that ruck. The breakdown is not looking good for South Africa. Ask that because Sarah or Jason is sitting at home thinking, oh my gosh, like that is so true. I didn't, I didn't get that. So you have to ask the questions and you have to be willing to to some maybe look like a fool, but there is someone that's going to benefit from you asking that question uh, and draw from the stars. Watch people who you love, watch people who you um, revere, look at what they have done to become the best. Do not emulate, you are you, but draw from what they are doing. What are they doing right that could uh, assist you to be great? And the last one, and I think this is the one I, I really, really hone on. You have to revere the work that you do. You have to have passion for it because that's when you bring your most authentic self. But that's also when you have so much respect for the people you work with and the people you are broadcasting to. Have reverence for this thing that they love. I learned that people love rugby. They love it. They live for it. They're burning their shirts when the Springboks don't win. I mean, they are burning <laughs> their shirts when we don't win. You know, they have put everything into this and they will see when you don't. And that's when they, when they disconnect. So lo love it like they love it and they will love you. Ladies, can you see how quickly the hour went by? Thank you so much. That's it for the Future is Female panel for this Radio Days Africa 2021 session. Joanne, you were fabulous. Mutsidisi, I love you. Nonlebo, you are a Jedi master. Rorisang, powerhouse, media, advertising mogul. You guys are phenomenal. Um, this was wonderful. Make sure that you download the app to catch all the other sessions or has, go to hashtag RDA2021 on social media to see all the other nuggets that people are sharing from the other sessions. My name is Clema Wisa. It has been an absolute pleasure. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for joining this Radio Days Africa audio amplified session. For highlights, podcasts, and more, visit radiodaysafrica.co.za. That was a Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast brought to you by the Vitz Radio Academy. For more information and podcasts, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za.